Hallelujah. Thank God for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. You know, it's uh, when, you, when you receive him on the inside, just like we said on, on week number one when we were doing the Holy Spirit refresh, was he leads and guides you into all truth. He shows you things to come, and he brings things to your remembrance. Why? Because it's beneficial to have things brought up to you. And so we get such, in such a rush sometimes that we just miss those simple promptings like, look left, you know, or go check on this. And, well, why would I go check on that? It's just, just something in my head. No, the Holy Spirit knows how to lead and guide you to where you need to be, when you need to be there, and protect you. He brings comfort to your heart. He is your helper. And so for the last, uh, was it five, six weeks, we've been doing a refresh series on the Holy Spirit, but we're going to go a little bit different direction this morning. And I, I hope you guys have all been having a great Canada Day weekend. I, I so agree with what Jessica said. We are so blessed to live in this country and have the freedom that we do to worship. You know, I think most Christians these days are too big of whiners. You know, it's like, oh, well, did you hear what the government did about this? You did, what about this? And they make mountains out of molehills. Come on, I have friends who grew up in countries where you're not allowed to gather like us. I remember a friend of mine, he was Ethiopian, but he grew up in Saudi Arabia. And uh, we, we were uh, getting ready to go be ushers in prayer and healing school. And as he took off his shirt, I noticed his back was just a complete mess of scars all over. And I was like, well, what, what, what is that? He's like, I grew up in Saudi Arabia where you're not allowed to go worship as a Christian. And this is for me standing up and going and saying, I'm going to do it anyways. I, I've got all these scars because they said, okay, we're just going to whip you until you choose not to. Come on, we are so blessed to live where we are. I, I think that North American Christians, we don't understand what persecution actually is. You know, he said that growing up, even in some areas of Ethiopia where he was when he was a young child, they had to go to church with masks on because people were watching to see who was going there because they wanted to kill them. You know, we are so blessed to live in this country. So, Father, thank you for the freedom that we have. Let us not take it for granted, Lord. We, we thank you that we can come and we can lift up your name without facing persecution. We thank you that we can gather together and support one another and learn from your word and worship. God, we are just so grateful for it. And so we say thank you, thank you, thank you for this great nation that you have let, allowed us to live in. Father, we speak good things over this nation in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that there's a good future and a hope for this nation and the people within this nation. We thank you for the moving of your spirit from sea to sea, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that there shall be revival amongst the people of this nation. We thank you, Lord, that there will be a revival amongst the churches of this nation, that you will return them back to the word, that you'll stir up an inspiration on the inside of them, that they can stand and believe you, that it's not just a social gathering, no, Father, we thank you that there's revival amongst our churches, a moving of your spirit. We thank you for signs and wonders and miracles across this great nation. We thank you, Lord, for those divine connections, angelic connections. Oh, Father, we just thank you of bringing people together at the right time for your purposes that you have for these last days. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this nation, and we bless it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. You know, you really have to catch yourself sometimes. What's your complaining to speaking ratio? What is your complaining to speaking life ratio? 
especially when it comes, it's easy to criticize the government. It's easy to complain about all the little things. What is your complaining to speaking life ratio? You speak life. Oh, come on. I'm preaching to myself this morning. You speak life. Your words are life from the inside of you. You know, the book of Deuteronomy says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you and your family may live. You get the opportunity to speak life. I, I like what the book, and James said, he said that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Sorry, that's the book of Proverbs. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit of it. James said that your tongue is like the rudder of a great ship. It goes, your life goes wherever your tongue tells it to go. And so we, it's on us as spirit-filled Christians to speak life into the things around. It's easy to parrot what everybody else says, but what does the Word say? What is the Holy Spirit saying about your situation? It's easy to get up and parrot what the pain says. Oh, I'm so tired today. Oh, it hurts. No, my body is alive. My body is whole. It functions as it was designed for. Come on. What do you want to say about your life? Speak life. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I won't take it back because it's God's word. Hallelujah. Well, as I said, we've been, we've been doing a, a refresh series on the Holy Spirit, and I want to go a little bit different direction this morning, and I want to do a message on faith. We did four weeks on, on faith earlier in the year, and at the end of that little bite-sized se session that we did, there was just so many more things that I wanted to say that we didn't get time to, but we're just going to take a week here and a week there, and we're, we're going to do some teaching on faith. It's important. Why? Because the Bible says the just live by faith. It's how we live. Faith is so important. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please him, him being God. It says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and, and, meaning there's two things being represented here. By faith, we believe that God is, and that's where a lot of people leave it. Oh yeah, I believe there's a God. No, there, there's some things that you need to believe about him. There's some things that you need to believe that he said what he said he meant, and he did what he did, and the Bible tells us about it, and we believe that those things are true just as much as we believe that he exists. You know, believing he exists is just the first step. There's lots of people in the world, oh yeah, I, b I believe there's a God. Well, what do you believe about that God? What do you believe about what he said about you? There's, there's, there's more to than just believing he exists. It says, without faith, it's impossible to believe him. Because what, what is faith? Faith is, is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is, is released out of the inside of you. It grabs hold of a reality of what God said, this is how it is. And you say, I believe it, and I'm going to go ahead and act like that's how it is, because it is. And so it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Why does faith please him? Because it takes what he said and allows it to become a reality into your life because you grabbed hold and you said, this is how it is and I choose that I will not accept it any other way. And that makes his heart happy. Why? They believe me. They believe what I said. 
It says, so that he that comes to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That shouldn't be an odd statement for Christians to believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But how come in most of Christianity we hear things like, well, you just never know what God's going to do. You know, oh, he's doing this to teach me this. You know, he put this sickness on me to humble me, to keep me down. That's not what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, we believe that God is and that he's a rewarder. God gives good gifts unto his children. That's what the Bible says. That every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning or change. So if it's not good, it's not God. And if if good things come from God and something comes into your life that's not good, we can just go ahead and say, well, if it didn't come this way, where did it come from? Not God. So I don't need to hold on to it. I don't need to latch on to that. The Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Not God. God doesn't come to steal your joy, to steal your dreams, to take things from you. He doesn't come to kill you. He doesn't come to destroy your life. He says he come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And so without faith, it's impossible to to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Why? Because when you seek, you find. That's what Jesus said. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. I love that with God, the answer is always yes. It says all the promises in him are yes and amen. If the word has said it, that it's promised to you, God's answer was yes. And sometimes when we get things going on in our life, God is saying yes to the solution, but our faith is saying no. That we're believing things other than what he has said and so we need to look to the word and to see his examples of what he considers faith you know throughout the bible we see different statements where uh, jesus said to the centurion whoa what great faith you have i've not seen this type of faith amongst the children of israel here's this foreigner this centurion expressing faith in a way that god's own children weren't And he called it great faith. We see there's situations with the disciples where Jesus said to them, how come you guys have such little faith? And so if you can have great faith and little faith, we should look at the mechanics of what makes great faith. Because I don't want little faith or no faith or faith that doesn't work. I want faith that overcomes. Hallelujah. And so last week we were in the book of Acts and we were looking through at different New Testament stories. 
And I want to go back to one of the stories and look at it a little deeper this week. And that is in Acts chapter 9. And let's read that story together. It says, At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him to, cut, to not delay in coming to them. And Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all of the widows stood by him weeping and showing the tunic and, the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed. This was a, a prominent woman that a lot of people knew. She died, and being raised from the dead, what a testimony of the goodness of God that spread throughout all the region, and of course many believed. They're like, my goodness, we knew she was dead, and now she is not. Oh, how great the Lord is. That's why it's so important that we need to not be ashamed of the miracles that happen in our own life. And we need to testify. The book of Revelation says that they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You need to be proud of the miracles you've walked through. You need to go ahead and put them on display for the people around you and say, do you know how good God is? Let me tell you how good. This was going on in my life, and this is how he came through. God is a good God. There's too many Christians living with shame these days. Well, I don't want to tell anybody about that. They might think different about me. Go ahead. <laughs> the Bible calls us a peculiar people. Go ahead and let the world think you're odd. It's fine. I'd rather be thought bad of by the world and walk in miracles. And so it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. But what we first need to know is this is not a story of Tabitha's faith. This is a story of Peter's faith. It says, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Now, you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. The Bible doesn't put in wasteful statements. It's there for a reason. And it first says that her name is Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. And you can say, okay, why do we care how it's translated? Do you know what Dorcas means in the Greek? Most people probably wouldn't, because it's really, for the most part, we can pass over it as unimportant. It means gazelle. And you can say, Pastor Jordan, who cares? Do you know that in the Bible times, a gazelle was a picture of a beautiful woman? You look at Solomon, 
He said, oh, my beloved, you are like a gazelle. And you could be as a woman like, I don't want anybody telling me I look like a hairy four-legged animal. But their society was different than ours. We have different things that we would use to describe someone who's beautiful. Here, her name is a gazelle. She was Tabitha, which is translated a gazelle. What it's telling you is that she was a beautiful woman. And that she was full of good works and charitable deeds. And I said this to you last week, and I'll say it to you again. Your charitable good, good deeds and your good works are good, but they are not faith, and they will not save you. And so this was a beautiful woman who did lots of good within the community, but that does not equate to faith. There's a difference between what you do and what you believe. And this is an important statement for us to make because it's very much throughout the body of Christ that it, we're trying to work ourselves to God. We're trying to make ourselves look good. And in doing so, we've actually laid a stumbling block in so much of the world where they say, well, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good person. I, get, I don't need God. I've already done pretty good on my own because they're looking at their works. Your works cannot save you. Tabitha's works did not save her. The next statement says she got sick and she died. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by grace through faith. You want to look at it this way? Grace is God's provision given to you that you grab hold of by faith. The actual word for grace there is charis, which means undeserved and unmerited favor. God does not look at how good you've been or how bad you've been. He just offers salvation to all who will believe. And we either grab hold of it by faith, or we don't. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so Tabitha's good works and charitable deeds were good things, but they could not save her. Do you know what happens first? Faith comes first, and works flows out of that. The next verse says, we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so once we've stepped into Jesus, there's things that he's pre prepared for you to walk in, good things. Paul said this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in, within me. Paul said that because of the grace that I've received from God, I've done more than all those around me. But you notice the grace of God came first and the works second. You always have to keep the cart, not put the cart before the horse. The horse goes first. 
The grace of God does the work. The faith of you, that he's given to you latches hold of what he has said. And so Paul said, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that's the system of the New Testament that we live in. There is a provision that God has given to us, and there's faith that grabs hold of it. And when we look at this, this verse here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we see it through the lens of, well, yeah, that's talking about salvation, right, Pastor Jordan? That's talking about I believed God, and then when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That's true, but that's actually only half of what Paul's talking about here. Your salvation doesn't just impact your eternity. The salvation that God has offered to you is supposed to impact how we live and what we can do and what we will receive while we're here on this earth. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Jordan? Well, the word that uh, Paul here uses for saved is the word sozo. And it means to save, to keep safe and sound, or to rescue from danger and destruction. Well, isn't that what heaven is? He's, he's rescuing me out of hell so that I can go to heaven in the end? Well, yeah, but that's only half the definition. The second one means to save from suffering. And it's specific about the examples it uses. It means to save one from a disease, to make well, to heal, or restore to health. And so salvation doesn't just impact your eternity. It's supposed to impact your today, your here, and your now. It's supposed to save you out of suffering in your here and your now. It's supposed to heal you right here, right now, to restore you back to health right here, right now. And we grab hold of that by faith. That's the provision that he's already given. The Bible says that by his stripes, you were healed. That's what Peter told us. You were healed, but I feel sick now. Go ahead and grab hold of the provision that's already been prepared for you to walk in. And so salvation is not just about the sweet by and by, but about the here and now, right now, that we're living in. That I don't have to put up with suffering. I don't have to put up with things that would try to attack my body and harm me. It's here, the here and now, I'm being saved. And if that's true, Pastor Jordan, then we should see that in the New Testament, shouldn't we? Of course, I'm so glad you asked the question. Such, good, such a good class this morning. Ask the right questions, get the right answers, right? Well, we should see how this word is used beyond salvation. Let's look here at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, in verse 23, it says, Now, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And he said, And suddenly... A great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Who's the he? It's Jesus. We know this story. The storm arises, and Jesus is just sleeping in the boat, and the disciples begin to freak out. And it says the disciples came to him, and they awoke him, and they said, Lord, save us. We are perishing. This is the same word that we use for salvation, sozo. 
It's not talking about, Lord, save us. It's not saying, well, the boat's going down. Please take us to heaven, Jesus. That's not what he's saying. They were looking for salvation in that moment, right? And there's many situations that you walk into and you're not like, oh, God, I can't wait till this will all be done in heaven. No, we need deliverance there. We need to be freed from it now. I don't want to have to wait down the road and thank God he didn't have cause you to wait. It's right now. You can grab hold of the grace that's been provided to you by faith. And so they cry out and said, Lord, sozo us. We're perishing. Save us from this suffering. Save us from this problem that we found ourselves in. They didn't want future deliverance. They needed right then, in the moment, deliverance. But his response to them was, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Jesus looked at the situation and basically in the words that he's saying to them was this. Why didn't you do something about it? Why do I say that? Because so many Christians are waiting for God to come and do something for them. That he's already given them the power to do for themselves by faith. Lord, why haven't you healed my body? And God's saying, why don't you believe me when I said I already did? Faith is always present tense. If you're looking to a future event to solve your present problem, you're in hope, not faith. Faith is now. That's what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. When we come before God, we don't say, God, I thank you that you're going to heal my body. You say, God, I thank you that you've already bore this on your body so I don't have to. And right now in this moment, I receive what you've already done for me now. Hope is a good thing. Hope will get you looking and moving, but hope can't save you. Only faith can. Hope is a confident expectation of good things to come. Faith is a present tense reality of what God has said is already done. So he said to them, why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? And I like the one translation that says, how come you having faith use none? And he arose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I like that because Jesus' expectation was that you guys can do the same thing that I can do. It's almost like he had told them that the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these because I go to the Father. It's almost like he had an expectation that his own words were true. Do we have that same expectation? Do we have that same faith within our hearts that says, God, your word said, 
so it is. Did I say that again? Your word said, so it is. That's how salvation happened, right? Someone came to you and said, Jesus died for your sins. Would you like to become a Christian? Confess, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You believed based upon something that was done. Jesus died for him and he arose. You believed on a finished work. So how come with our other areas of faith, we're looking to a future work when Jesus already said, it is finished? He's done his work. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. He raised you up and made you to sit down there with him. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world, but that which is to come. I like that he said that. He said, the work that I've done and that I've freed you from, saved you from, whatever word you want to use there, it not only covers what is, but it also covers whatever will be. <laughs> Maybe they didn't have words in the New Testament called cancer or AIDS or fibromyalgia or whatever words you want to throw in there, but Jesus went ahead and said, whatever name that is or ever will be is under your feet because you're seated with me. And so if you can find the name or even if you don't know the name, it doesn't even matter. It's all under his feet and you're seated with him. It's under your feet as well. Hallelujah. Okay, let's look at another one. In Mark chapter 10, in verse 46, it says, Now, they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude. So there's a bunch of people following him. And it says, Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now, you've got to understand just how insignificant society views this person. He doesn't even have a name. Well, yeah, his name is Bartimaeus. No, Bartimaeus just simply means son of Timaeus. <laughs> He's known for who his father is. Nobody cares who he is. And I like that because the world's going to tell you you're insignificant and you're a nobody. They don't even know your name and they don't even care to know your name. Good thing God does and he'll still come through anyways. And so he's sit, sitting by the road begging. And when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they warned him to be quiet. Oh my goodness, the world's going to do that. Oh, just be quiet. Nobody else needs to know about your faith. Nobody needs to know about your God. Who cares? That's good for you. That's a good truth for you. I know my truth. I don't need to know your truth. The world's going to tell you to shut up. But here's what Bartimaeus did. He cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stood still and... Oh, back... Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man saying, oh, be of good cheer. He's, he's calling you. <laughs> One minute they're telling him to shut up. And now they're being like, oh, be happy, be happy, rise. Come on, he wants you, he wants you. <laughs> oh, the world is so fickle. 
but this next verse is so important. It says, and throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Why is that significant? Here we have a blind beggar. In order to be a beggar within that region, you had to be a legal beggar, which means you went to the temple, they looked at you like, yep, this guy, he blind. Here's your begging blanket, put it on so everybody knows they're allowed to help you. You're a legal beggar. And so when that man heard that Jesus was coming, what had he heard about Jesus? Well, maybe what the Bible said, how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He heard that when you get with Jesus, you don't have to be the same anymore. And so when Jesus said, tell that man to come here, he's like, I don't need this begging blanket anymore. I've met with the master. That's his faith in action. He had no expectation that he was coming back from this encounter blind. Every fiber of his being was saying, I don't need to beg anymore. I'm getting my sight right now because Jesus has called me to come. Man, he had tenacious faith. I don't need this. And too often when we're saying we're believing, we've got one foot in faith and one foot in, well, if this doesn't work out, then. There's no plan B's in faith. There's only faith. It's the only thing that matters. And so throwing aside his garment, he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. That I can receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way your faith has made you well. Your faith. It wasn't Jesus' faith that caused this miracle to happen. It was Bartimaeus's. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. In English, we see three words there, made you well. In the Greek, it's one, sozo. Your faith has saved you. You don't need just salvation for the sweet by and by. Your faith will save you from whatever situation you find yourself in. And it says immediately. He received his sight, and he followed Jesus on the road. Your faith will move mountains. That's what Jesus said. Mark eleven twenty two. Have faith in God, or place your faith in God. Whoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes the things which he says... It shall be done for him. Your faith will change the landscape of your life because of what Jesus has already done for you. 
And so we don't need to stir ourselves up in the thinking of, if Jesus could only know. We stir ourselves up in the remembrance of, I believe what he said about me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There is a provision for everything that you need in this life that is received by faith. That's, that's what Peter said, that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Whatever it is you need, he's already become the provision. I like what Romans 1.16 says, though. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. When I get rid of my shame and my unwillingness to actually turn to God or be willing to actually speak about Him or speak to Him, it says it's the power of God to salvation. And the word here used for salvation is just like the one that we saw with saved, sozo. It's the one soteria, which means deliverance preservation, safety, salvation. But it doesn't end there. I like the last one the best. It's the sum benefits and blessings which Christians redeemed from all earthly ills will enjoy. That's a great definition of salvation. It's the sum of all the benefits. Go ahead and add them all up and the blessings which Christians redeemed from all this earthly ills will enjoy that's the strong's definition if you're curious about it and so the writer of hebrews says this in chapter 6 verse 9 it says but beloved we are confident of better things concerning you yes the things that accompany salvation there are good things that come with that assurance of heaven in the future Okay, let's get back to our story in, in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, where are we at? It says, but Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room. Now, the, think about, we said this is a story of Peter's faith. Peter knew this was not the end. How do we know that? He came. Tabitha was sick and dead at this point, right? Then they called him, and Peter showed up. He wasn't coming to the funeral. He didn't know Tabitha. He didn't know about her good works. He's just traveling through the region. But Peter came. He was there on assignment. He arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all of the widows stood by him weeping showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. And so we have this big weep festival going on, and we have saw the same thing with Jesus, with Jairus' daughter. She was dead when Jesus got there, and Jesus knew she was dead when he, before he even got to the house. They sent people to him and said, don't trouble the master anymore, he's dead. She's dead. Don't trouble him anymore. And Jesus said, don't worry. Just believe. And he showed up anyways. Sometimes the things that we consider final aren't final for God. 
And there's things that we resign ourselves to, well, I guess I'm going to have to live with this, that Jesus never meant for you to live with. The only things that are final are the things that he said were final. Come on. And so Peter gets on the situation just like Jesus with Jairus, and he's met with all these people crying and sobbing because they've lost somebody they loved. You can understand their side of things, right? They were sad about their loss, which tells me there was no expectation in their heart about something more to come. But Peter didn't come there to cry with them. Peter put them all out. Well, that's kind of rude of you, Peter. Don't you know what they've gone through? Don't you know just how hard things have been? They're, they're sad, Peter. Don't let other people's emotions keep you from faith. There'll always be someone who's got the sob story that they want you to latch on to their story. You latch on to the story of faith. Peter put them all out, and he knelt down and prayed. Now, this is interesting. He doesn't pray for her. He just kneels down and prays. How do we know that? Because the next part says, and turning to the body. So it's not like he came in like, okay, I got, I got to pray for this woman. No, I, he didn't even do that. He just got in contact with him and God. And sometimes before you go to address a situation, you should check in with the one who conquers all situations. Why? Here's some important questions you should be asking. God, how should I do this? You know, John and I have been having a conversation the last few weeks about Moses. And when they were in the desert, there was one time that they needed water, and they're like, oh, we're so thirsty. And God said, Moses, take your staff and hit the rock. And he did. And water gushed out, and they drank, and they filled up all their stuff. But the next time they were thirsty, God said to Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses hit the rock. And that was Moses' moment of, Moses, you will not enter the promised land. Why? Because God said, speak to it. When we're standing in faith, you need to let go of all your preconceived ideas of how things should happen. Your job is to say, God, what do I do now? And follow the instructions. And so Peter, he talks to God first. And then he turns to the body and he says, Oh, Tabitha, come on back. Come on now, Tabitha. Come on, it's your, not your time. Come on back. No. He doesn't try to work anything up because faith doesn't have to make something happen. Faith believes what God has said. And he just says, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and gave her, her hand, his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Man, they came for a funeral party. Oh, look at the garment she's made. But think of the party they're going to have now. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Faith simply believes that what God has said is so. In faith, there's no yeah, buts. There's just God has said it, I believe it. What has God said? Well, there's a lot he said. What are you going through? Maybe you should find out what God has said about that type of situation because there's a lot more in the Bible than we often look at. You can go to wordchurch.ca and under, I believe it's the next step section, there's a section called scriptures. You click on it, there's a whole bunch of different cards that you can download for many different topics. Go find out what the word of God has actually said, rather just resigning yourself to the fact, well, I guess this is how it is. No, it ain't over till it's over, and it's not over until God said it's over. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, Pastor Robin, I think I'm done. What do you got? <laughs> we could be here a while. Hallelujah. You know, we, we all entered the ministry and entered into the Christian walk in the faith camp. And uh, the faith camp... Uh, you know, we, we talk about, you know, Pastor Jordan just shared one session, one, ser one service here on faith. And I think of Dad Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen. He spent his entire life preaching faith. It is the, the one substance that you need after salvation to walk this Christian walk in total victory. Because if you want to please God, you have to walk by faith. Amen. You have to step out in faith. You have to do these different things. You know, we, we, uh, we want, you know, things just to be so plain to us as to what we're supposed to do. But, you know, when God speaks to you about you needing to do something, if you have a question, how do I do this? You take the first step, and it's a step of faith. Because he's not going to give you the whole story. So if you've got things that God has been speaking to you about, Take the first step. What was the last thing he said to you? And that's what we do when we, we find ourselves in a bit of a, a, you know, a period of where we're just not, nothing's progressing. We say, what was the last thing God said to us? Amen? And God honors that when you step out with that, whatever that is. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. What does the word say? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Amen? What does the word say? What does the word say? I like that. That uh, on our site there, on our website, where you can go and find if there's a tells you about a situation, these are the scriptures that relate to that. Then find out what God said, Amen. And by finding out what God said, that creates faith, and then you step out on that, Amen, Amen, Hallelujah. So offering time. Let's uh, let's see what the Word says about this, and so let's go to Proverbs. So in giving, we honor the Lord with, our, with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, increases. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So the, the act of faith in giving is you give. Amen? And then 
your faith is out there and you receive. Amen? It's just as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Glory be to God. Well, I'm, I'm hoping we get some more sessions on faith. Amen? Because, hey, man, that'll strengthen you. That'll stir you up. That'll, that'll get you in the place where God needs you to be. Amen? Amen. You are all blessed.